0: and welcome to yet another episode of The Problem with Reading. I'm Brevin. I'm Stephen. And I'm Sam. And here we are coming at you with the second part of our series on the rise and triumph of the modern self, bringing you chapter three, The Other Genevan Rousseau. Uh, But before we get into the state of nature, whether or not we can be held responsible for any of our actions whether or not society is good or bad or the worst. Sam, what are you drinking right now?
1: Yeah, in typical fashion, this drink is accompanied by a three-part narrative. Um, Before recording, I was actually quite tired and fell asleep, woke up right in time to to log on here. And so I got myself a nice cup of Earl Grey tea uh, caffeinated. And then we sat around chatting for about 45 minutes and I finished the tea or mostly finished the tea so now I'm wide awake, and I poured myself a nice little pour of a uh, Johnny Walker. So that's what we're drinking right now. Very Thanks
0: nice. So, uh, Steven, how about yourself?
2: I am much bore, more boring than Sam in that I got a nice cup of uh, some some sort of fruit tea and poured some honey in it. And that's what I'm drinking right now.
0: All right. Very nice. Uh, as for myself, I am getting in the mood of this wonderful Advent season with some Trader Joe's eggnog. Uh made old-fashioned, so I'm told, uh, basically the alcoholic percentage of wine, and I have put on top, as is meat and right, some nutmeg that I'm 90% sure that Stephen uh, bought and provided uh, when we made Walker Percy's here at this very establishment in the relatively recent past. Good times. Yeah, we always have nutmeg, but we forget that we have nutmeg, so we go out and have to buy nutmeg.
2: Eventually, your entire house is just going to be nutmeg.
0: Worst things could happen. Um, you know, at at least we would have a floor at that point, uh, unlike right now. But that's a story for another time.
1: <laughs> yeah. For so, Wait, do they actually? This Trader Joe's actually sell? I mean, like eggnog that's at the proper percentage. I think so. Man, I yeah. figured they oh, couldn't I, get away I mean, with that. I mean, so that's what I'm drinking. Yeah, it's just so sweet that you don't taste the alcohol. I I, I figured they wouldn't be able to get away with that kind of thing, but. It doesn't matter to me. Oh, I can't have dairy, but um, anyway, it's, good for you. It's
0: certainly dangerous. I uh, I do recommend if you are able, maybe but someday, perhaps someday. Next year in Jerusalem. indeed. Uh, but let's get right to it and try and not let this episode go over long, though I'm sure we will, given the subject matter as well as uh, our our article that we're going to hope to get to. Uh, but the rise and triumph of the modern self, chapter three, uh, is entitled "The Other Genevan: Jean Jacques Rousseau and the Foundations." of modern selfhood. And I believe I will pass it over to Sam to kick us off.
1: Yeah, so Truman starts this chapter by saying that his aim is to give a genealogy of the psychological man slash expressive individual, this modern concept that he's been investigating in his first two chapters. And he recognizes the immediate difficulty at identifying an origin for said psychological man. he notes that the first person in history to speak um, with a psychological distinction between the mind and will and the body was Paul. Um, seen by exclaiming that he does what he does not wish to do, or his, his body does what he does not wish to do. Um, and then this is expanded further by Augustine with his, his confessions. And so realizing that starting with scripture and broadening out from there would be an Im- impossibly long work. He decides to start with Rousseau. His rationale for this is that Rousseau was the progenitor of the French Revolution and Romanticism, which are two key topics that he's going to discuss later. And he was a hero of Freud, the father of psychology. So he's a great figure for for our move into modernity. Um, He's also incredibly influential on political thought, which is something that he will come back to um, again in later chapters on how the modern self has ingrained itself in our politics. Truman particularly focuses on Rousseau's autobiography, Confessions, which Rousseau claims is his aim to show his inner self as faithfully and authentically as possible. Um, It's an incredibly psychological work, and the excerpts I've read previous to this, fascinating. It's a very, very interesting book. But um, it appears to be a very naive and simple take, him just talking about his internal thoughts in in an everyman sort of way. But when you analyze it, Further, it's a carefully constructed um, articulation of Rousseau's view of human nature. Throughout this book, uh, Truman identifies three key points or three key, key moments in Rousseau's autobiography uh, that form his view of of um, a human. These points are very—I I found them at least—very strange. His first is when Rousseau is hanging out with his friend Vera, and Vra persuades him to steal asparagus and sell them for profit. Now. Rousseau assesses why he does this. And he claims that his motivation for stealing the asparagus was not greed, but it was to please Ra. Um, and so therefore, his motivation was actually good. He wanted to please another fellow human. Um, and it was his good motivation that caused him to sin in the face of um, the pressures of his community. This leads to his one of his main points throughout all of his work that corruption is formed by society. There's a strong parallel in this passage with, with Augustine, Augustine's story of the pears, how he steals the pears with his friends just for the sheer pleasure of the crime. Um, and Augustine would agree with Rousseau that the motivator was not greed and that his um, social context had a had a role in the act, but differs in the conclusion of why he did it. It wasn't exclusively because of external force, but rather Augustine would say it was an internal um, inclination towards sin. Rousseau's second story that is influential is his encounter with a prostitute in Venice. And this story has, I've always found it very strange. And it's highly tied up with his third story and even explained by the third bit. Um, he visits a prostitute in Venice and is immediately struck by her immense beauty. And his first thought that brings him to the point of tears, that he is completely inferior in front of this woman and that he's troubled by the fact that he has her completely at his disposal quite oddly enough he he, his posture differs when he when he notices that she does have one flaw and that's that she has a deformed nipple and because of this malformation he can see this as a sign of natural vice and thus she's a monster just like him and he can have his way with her um which is a very brutal uh reaction to the situation he this is only fully explained in his third story, that being uh, where that being the encounter with an essay competition. He was traveling to visit a friend and he saw a competition, an advertisement for a competition to write an essay about, quote, whether the restoration of the sciences and arts has contributed to the purification of morals. This moment on his journey to his his friend is also paralleled with Augustine and I would say also Paul's conversion experiences. Nothing the same after this. And it leads him to write the Discourse on the Sciences and the Arts, a real essay that he wrote and submitted to a competition. In this essay, he proposes that people are made monsters only by their social conditioning. And thus, looking back at his encounter with the prostitute, he can say that she's not deformed due to divine judgment or to her own depravity, but rather her circumstances are what have put her in this position. And her physical deformation should should mean nothing to him. Um, This leads to him expounding on his state of nature, his hypothetical state of nature. In the state of nature, humans are pure desire, not mediated by institutions interrupting their thoughts and actions. In response to the prompt given to him for the essay, he says that the arts and sciences are constantly distracting from true genius and from this this the, from this true st- state of nature, thus fostering hypocrisy and causing people to err. The framework that he puts forth of society restricting people looks awfully like a histalian a sticlokite that Truman discussed in his first chapter. Um, Truman then connects this back to the desire to be recognized. Now... Under uh, According to Rousseau, humans must suppress their, their own desires in order to find recognition, which leads to them living a lie. Stephen.
2: Okay, so Truman then picks up with a study in Rousseau's conception of two different forms of love. Uh, amor, amor de somem, which is self-love, the desire for self-preservation, and amor propre. Uh, naturally, amor de so uh, or, self love is what exists. In society, however, more propre is the uh, the sentiment that arises naturally within the society, and it's a relative sentiment. It forces you to compare yourself to others. It forms rivalries, it forms hierarchies, it forms structures, and this is the source of competitiveness and, in Rousseau's eyes, therefore corruption. Uh, society encourages more propre by its very nature. Uh, it puts you in context in which you have no choice but to compare yourself with others. I think if you are completely void of other humans and you enjoy singing you can sing all you like and if you enjoy the singing that's all that matters but the moment you are with others you very much care about their response and moreover if there are other singers in the midst of your society you will be naturally comparing yourself to them you will want to be better than them you will want them to be worse than you and this is the propre that Rousseau finds uh so distasteful Apparently, there is some academic discussion on whether or not Amapropra is morally neutral or morally necessarily evil. Um, Rousseau gets a little bit ambiguous with that, but at the very least, it's something to be viewed with extreme caution, if not just outright disregarded. Uh, He has an interesting hypothetical history in which humanity is in this kind of Edenic state, and it falls by coming around some sort of societal unit. So, be it a tree, be it a hut, they they come together to form a society and therefore immediately begin comparing themselves to each other. Uh, And kind of to walk away from this is, if comparison is the thief of joy and the mother of envy, then society is the grandmother of envy. It's the mother of comparison. Uh, The beginning of all envy and discontent is the presence of other people. Uh, I suppose uh, he was somewhat predating Sartre in saying that other people are hell. Uh, Other people are comparison for him. Uh, Pre-society, he notes, has very simple needs. When you're in the wilderness, you need food, water, and shelter. And that's about it. With society, humanity has much more complex needs, hierarchical and comparative in nature. Um, He then makes this interesting move where he centers ethics around pity and empathy and finds them the most natural way of forming your moral compass, which is an interesting callback to McIntyre's discussion around Hume, who also centered his ethics, maybe not necessarily around pity or empathy, but around the passions, around your feeling. All ethics... Or, sorry, let's not be pejorative, but ethics to Rousseau and Hume are very much they're your gut reactions. Uh, it's a, it, it, what both would say a universal experience, and Rousseau says even some of the beasts experience pity or empathy. Uh, and if this is the case, if ethics are very natural, if you naturally feel pity or empathy for your fellow human, then, and also if society is the source of all comparison and therefore of all corruption, education takes a very different role in this context. If indeed humanity is in its in its base state, that of nature is good, then education as a socialization is actually doing moral harm. Uh, and this is extremely different than the traditional take on education from, say, Aristotle or Augustine. For Aristotle, it was all about you, you take the person, you train them, you get them to practice being good. But for Rousseau, it's actually, no, you need to, get them back to the original state that they were in the the state of innocence which also gives a very different take on um what the nature of youth and elder or youth and age are uh this incent, this sentiment implies that youth rather than age is indicative of wisdom and virtue uh truman has a nice little clear barb at um oh, what's her face uh greta something or other global uh, global warming girl Thunberg. Oh, Greta, Greta Thunberg. Where he's clearly calling her out, with oh, calling her out, but says something to the effect of like we've been treated to lots of lectures from young people on everything from Donald Trump to uh, Donald Trump to global warming. And while I kind of roll my eyes at that, aside, I think he does. He is onto something in that. Why do we assume that the youth have the right to lecture the elderly about stuff that actually takes a lot of nuance and a lot of uh, understanding of global affairs to be able to really conceptualize? When you're a high schooler, when you're a college student, everything is very simple and you don't realize how complex things are. Who are you to think that you have the right to lecture the people who have been around for much, much longer than you? But in our society, we, we view youth as kind of having that that naive optimism, that that view of the world that hasn't been corrupted. that hasn't been so jaded. Whether or not that's true is kind of another debate. But that's something that can be gotten away with under this framework, uh, whereas in societies where elderly uh, people are viewed as the virtuous. The youthful would be simply told to mind their elders. For Rousseau, aesthetics are key to morality. It's about forging the sentiments properly. So we'll get back to nature by forming an aesthetic mode of existence. I wonder, I have to wonder if Kierkegaard would nod in approval or disapproval of this, Um, given that that's only the first stage and eventually gets a religion. I have to imagine he'd say, nice start, but keep going. Um, Though, to be fair, he's not entirely off. Uh, C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man would be nodding with agreement in that. The, the goal is to mold the sentiments properly. In fact, he, he has a nice little line where he says, I would much rather uh, be uh, or play cards with somebody who armchair theorizing says morality is relative, but has been taught that a gentleman will not cheat at cards. I'd much rather play against him than play against somebody who has the idea of it's wrong to cheat at cards, but hasn't really formed the proper sentiments, like doesn't, doesn't feel bad about it. Um, so I, I think he's not entirely off here. Ah, uh, but Truman does point out that sentiments, that sort of sentimentalism leads to McIntyre's criticism on emotivism, that all if morality is rooted in sentiments, then what moral sentences really are are me saying, I feel this way about something. I think you should feel the same. he Truman does back off a little bit, and he does say that there is an in, inexorably a tie between sentiments and ethics for example he or for, he gives for example uh, a scenario in which you witness an old man being mugged and then need to google is mugging old men bad and it, if you had to do that clearly there's something off clearly your moral compass is off but if it's entirely linked if that is to say if moral sen- or if moral sentences are only sentiments this is a pure subjectivism slash emotivism. Rousseau didn't necessarily see this coming. He thought sentiment was a universal experience and would probably be surprised at that move. But I'm inclined to agree with Truman on that, that if if all a moral sentence is, is a sentiment, then emotivism naturally follows. And that's about the chapter. It was a good one. I, I never really, ha- I had not really learned a ton about Rousseau. So this was actually a really good kind of oh. intro to Rousseau. Although I think talking with uh, Brevin's mother-in-law, she did say that Truman... While not necessarily wrong about Rousseau, kind of did him dirty. As, as far as like didn't give him credit for a lot of his more excellent stuff.
1: Yeah, Rousseau has is always is fascinated me ever since undergrad, where I think Brevin and I took the same class at, in different years from the same professor who adored Rousseau. He was a very conservative old GOP guy and he, teaching political philosophy. He just adored Rousseau. Not because he necessarily agreed with him, but just because he thought his, his arguments were so sharp. And so unique and poignant. Yeah, I think that he's incredibly important to read. Um, what's always struck me about Rousseau is that he's just—he's so close, right? Similar to Hume, right? Why? Why I like Hume more than like Locke or um, or any of those other you know early Enlightenment folks. I love Hume because he seems to call the bluff of of um, you know the 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 idea of like early liberalism. Like, well, how do you, how do you really know that this contract is legitimate? What? Well, couldn't you just you know how do you, how do you really know this? And Rousseau seems to be getting at that. And, um, and I think maybe this is why I like McGillichrist so much. That's a throwback, right? But uh, it's because he, he gets into like, okay, well, how do we really know why we, why we're doing the things that we're doing? And he digs into the brain and looks at, you know, where, where these um, impulses are coming from. And I feel like that that's what Rousseau is doing, but on a, obviously, in a much different time of looking back and trying to identify where, where his ideas are coming from. And he ultimately identifies society as being the main place. Um And I think his I think his reasoning there is fascinating.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, MacDillacris really liked Rousseau, right? I, I want to say Rousseau came uh, up a couple times in the Masters, I'm sorry. I don't
0: recall uh, if Sam finds out in an instant here by pulling up the book that could answer it. But if I had to guess, knowing Michiel Christ, he's probably more appreciates the Rousseau's attempt to externalize internal processes that he then identifies with, uh, you know, brain functions, as opposed to anything about Rousseau's philosophy uh, unto itself. That would be my guess, but it has been a, a hot minute since we've read. Mi- uh, i also
2: might be mixing up rousseau and the romantics because i know he loved the romantics and actually now that i think about it i actually forget if your mother-in-law really liked the romantics or rousseau i'm so getting my mother-in-law again. loved the romantics and not rousseau. Oh, she likes yeah. the romantics. my <laughs> mistake no i was getting rousseau and the romantics mixed up they both start with R. okay
0: fair enough and we do talk about them next. um but to go to rousseau specifically there were a couple key things that 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 you both covered um but that but that i pulled out of it um I mean, the the core project that Truman sees Rousseau as starting or making is really psychologizing the individual and bringing it back to that being the measure of all things. It moves the point of view from society as a legitimate place from which to... Or sorry, let's make it more specific than society because Rousseau is the is one of the original we live in a society joker memes, but it's not that community or the interweb of human connection is the focal And how do we live? It's, it becomes, how do I live? And it becomes this, uh, I mean, he, he's telling a genealogy of expressive individualism. And so the core unit of analysis is the individual, but specifically the individual in a very particular sense. And this is where his state of nature question comes in, his state of nature story, not saying that it ever existed, state of nature stories, people who tell them Rousseau tells it, libertarians tell, or Locke rather tells a different version of it uh, to explain political rights. And, you know, the preface is always, we don't actually believe this ever happened. This is just an explanation of how uh, the the relations function. But then they, you know, I, I would say tend to give it more credit than it deserves for being a thought experiment. But Rousseau's unit of analysis is this individual in this particular state where there are no prior communities the way that his thought experiment is set up begs the question it presumes something that has never been and can never be which is to say an atomized individual with no natural relations no connections no hierarchies natural hierarchies really of any kind no competition no uh, intercommunal and external communal bonds or or and then puts on top of that, uh, then all of these things start encumbering the individual at that point. That's one way to describe the human condition. However, it's inherently wrong. But once he has that core kernel starting point, it's from there that he's able to go down this path of the individual being corrupted by a society that by virtue of his story, forms and shapes a person uh, basically poorly, if they were left to their own devices, you know, they would be virtuous and desire uh, mediated by sentiment and, and pity, but it it really is this essential tale that is at its core, a a lie or incorrect, however you want to put it, that then allows this, you know, the seed that eventually becomes expressive individualism to, to follow from.
2: I, I find there's two main holes that can be found in that. I think first somewhat similar to the, uh, I guess, a somewhat common counter to arguments against capitalism in that, like it, it fosters greed and whatnot. One of the things I've I've common heard is like, okay, look, give everyone a thousand dollars, and set everyone equal. The first time anyone makes any sort of purchase, immediately an inequality happens, and then the argument can go on from there. And whether or not it's right is kind of besides the point. But with this one, it's kind of a, a moral equivalent of that. Like, okay, so say everyone is completely moral put them into society, the first one, or sorry, uh, this isn't necessarily morality, but this is rather like social standing, like put everyone equal. The first time anyone does anything at all, immediate hierarchies start forming. Like It just strikes me that there's no real way around that. and I'm not sure what Rousseau is offering as an alternative, which I think is somewhat of an issue. He needs to have some sort of alternative, and if it's just a return to state of nature, I think that, that therein lies the second criticism, which I would say like, if anything, going back to nature, I think we'd get more vicious, not less. When you're starving to death, you'll probably murder somebody to get their food, whereas a society buffets you from that.
1: Yeah, and I wish that Truman went into his political philosophy because Rousseau's political philosophy basically says that Revan, well, check me on this. I haven't read it in a while, but the social contract, his main political work, is basically saying that you that there's no way to escape from the society. And so you need to have a good society that forces people uh, that, that control uh, controls, right. Or, or, you know, forces people to be the best, the best they can be. And the best they can be means being able to exercise their desires, but that ultimately comes from the top down, not from the bottom up. Um, And his his implication is that he should be the one in charge really, Uh, which is great. I mean, we all love our philosopher Kings As, as, as I recall,
0: the, the core, um, Necessity for that society to function is the united
1: will of everyone all together. Yes, that's it. The society has to get everybody on the same page and have the same will. And once all their, once society aligns all their wills, we won't need this kind of coercion because their desires will line up with the needs of society. Um, and then they can they can just live they can just live by desire and let their passions flow, and those passions will naturally flow in tandem with each other. Very interesting stuff, but uh, probably wrong. Uh, but it's it. it, it Steve, if you haven't read the Social
2: Contract, it's a it's a good read. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like he accidentally walked into virtue. Like ah yes, if only we did. Like if only our natural inclinations were right. It's like yeah, that's why he practiced the virtues. And and that's and that's where that's the rub with,
1: with Rousseau is. I, I think he's so close. He's like he's he's almost stumbled into virtue from like a super individualist like closet atheist door he's like he, he's reached like the idea that you need to condition yourself to do good he's just very skewed on what the good is um and that still concedes the idea of, of habit forming being tantamount.
2: that is good to know that he addressed kind of my two off-the-cuff criticisms it sounds like he was very well aware of them and, and actually respond to them truman just didn't necessarily go into it
1: yeah i was disappointed with truman for not really for not giving like a full-fledged explanation of Rousseau's political philosophy because it's it's a bit. I mean, it it doesn't it, it, it's not divergent. It just it it's a it's a different perspective, a different facet of the psychological um self that he gives. Um. So yeah, I'm disappointed in that. That I one fair one, one point against Truman.
0: The 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 one other thing that I would say, and I you know mostly have negative things to say about Rousseau as as Truman does, but the one positive thing that. Rousseau does observe is that the social really is a locus of shaping human behavior. Now he puts it, it's all bad, basically. Uh, And if the individual was left to be free to, you know, relay himself faithfully, then that's the best possible person not taking into account like what if, uh, you know, you're bad and unformed and relaying yourself faithfully is a horrible version of yourself. Uh, that needs correction that only society can give you. But that all to the side. It is a very good point that you know want of social approval is a extremely powerful and and at times you could even say fifty percent of the time uh, or, or or more for that matter uh, in influence on human behavior. I mean others have observed it. So this is not my observation by any means. But you know were the average american who thinks of themselves as a decent person and you know supporter of truth freedom justice blah 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 born in you know 1900s uh germany soon to be nazi germany there's a better than good odds chance that you end up a nazi just by dint of the social environment and you know joining the political mm-hmm. party and stuff and that's a sobering reality that you have to deal with before you grant yourself any uh credit for your correct opinions about things So Rousseau is correct in as far as that goes, it's just unfortunate that he doesn't see that the individual will, that the pure individual, unencumbered, unshaped, unformed, will never be the solution to that kind of problem. If anything, that individual is only more vulnerable to slavery of various forms.
2: Is it even that novel of a take? I mean, I think, I want to say there's some verse in the Psalms that says, like, walk in the counsel of the wise and you will become wise. Walk in the counsel of the wicked and you will become wicked. So... To be fair, it's not like this is a massive innovation that nobody had it had it had occurred to nobody before that if like your society shapes who you are, it strikes me as very Yeah, reasonable. but it's but it is novel
1: to reach that point from an from from an agnostic perspective. I mean Rousseau doesn't outright say there's no God, but you can read into his work that he didn't believe in God. Um mm-hmm. he, it's it's pretty clear. He doesn't reference that. So it is, I I think it is very novel that he reaches that point from a psychological perspective. I mean, from a completely psychological perspective and not from a like a religious, um, moral perspective. I mean, he's making ethical claims, but it's, I guess, less moral, more ethical and more psychological and less like religious and theological. So and, and Truman points that out, which I think is a good note that like. This is nothing new. This is, I mean, we saw this in Paul. We saw, saw it in Augustine. You can you can pull these threads through the millennia. But Rousseau was the was was the key in solidifying it in our in our post enlightenment um, world. I think it's probably fair.
2: I I do wonder. So you you brought up earlier that um, Truman kind of brushed aside some of Rousseau's points, and I think I want to say us three were talking about this maybe a month or two ago. That one of the criticisms that has been brought up against Truman is that he does. Kind of brush aside certain elements of what would otherwise be very brilliant thinkers, and I guess to defend him for a brief moment, it is already a very large book, and he is covering a large history of time, and so there's only so much he can do uh, to to give a fair shake to uh, to to the the people that he's he's discussing. But that is going to be something that we're going to have to kind of be aware of as we go through the book. Is that he's trying to swallow the ocean right now? And as such, he's not able to completely dissect everyone that he encounters., yep.
1: yeah. And I think that it's, I think that our our role here is to choose, see that as a as a narrowing of focus and less of a um, a, 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 a uh, an agenda, so to speak. I mean, he is making an argument, and he sees this clear thread in Rousseau. And I think that should be sufficient, right? He, he doesn't need to to encapsulate all of Rousseau's work in order to note that he is a key pillar in the development of the psychological man, which I think is true. It's just, it is unfortunate that you kind of turn over the rock and you get really deep into that. It's like, well, Rousseau was so much more than, that. um, but. Well,
0: he also, you know, sent all of his, uh, kids as soon as they were born to live in orphanages. So I'm not terribly inclined to give him even his positives.
2: Oh, just wait until we get to the uh, 20th century, uh, uh, philosophers that he goes over you think that's bad yeah it so i mean also there was so much low-hanging fruit that
1: he could have used if he wanted to slam the Rousseau. why didn't he use that um, anyway
2: truman does a pretty good job at not lambasting people too hard although some of his occasional digs are pretty amusing again especially once we get to the 20th century philosophers oh there are a handful where he's just like yeah and he was a moron okay moving on speaking of historians of thoughts brevin what do you think about Alistair McIntyre?
0: Well, thank you, Stephen, for that not at all contrived transition that I was about to do. Anyway, You're but, one to yes. of contrived transitions. <laughs>
2: thank you, Sam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel attacked. Uh
2: but anyway. Good. You uh, are being attacked. <laughs> well, okay, fine. Well,
0: <laughs> one when one is attacked, you might flee. And the article for today is McIntyre. Flight from Politics in Compact Magazine, which is in fact the introduction to a book on Alistair McIntyre entitled Alistair McIntyre, An Intellectual Biography. Uh, so this uh, short article is, you know, the preface, the introduction to this to this book uh, and attempts to take stock of Alistair McIntyre as he nears the uh, somewhat, let's say, inevitable end of a long and illustrious career Uh, if only because Stephen uh, continues to bring COVID to the Notre Dame Ethics Conference. And one of these days, he will finally get his his man. Um, So this book specifically is trying to take stock of Alistair McIntyre in the context of sort of the post-liberal moment uh, that at least that many of us, or at least many of us on the Internet, are living in in this uh, environment discussing. You know, what does it mean to move past the liberal order, is that possible? What would that look like? Is it better? Uh, And I'm mostly just going to quote a couple lines from the article because it really does sum up um, what this book, as well as writer, takes as both the strong and positive points of McIntyre's project, but as well as as its weakness, which I don't believe is something we've specifically contended with on this podcast. We tend to be mostly laudatory of our man, McIntyre. So quoting from the article, quote, liberalism that's the enemy thus we could summarize the opinion that in a diffuse and insistent way inspires the works of those who offer their views on our political social and economic situation at the same time we agree to recognize that the alternatives to liberalism have lost all credibility never has a principle organizing human association been more criticized while triumphant or more triumphant while discredited and end quote And McIntyre is one person who speaks into this problem and is a source of inspiration for many people who are seeking a way past or through or stepping back from liberalism, however they define it, in whatever way they see fit. And this writer says that McIntyre's approach uh, to his philosophy regarding liberalism, but specifically looking at politics, or more accurately, society through Aristotle, is man as a social animal, which is a... Somewhat distinct take on Aristotle, which is to say that he views man as social, but tends across his work to discard Aristotle's uh, thoughts on the politics, and that McIntyre does not engage with politics as Aristotle does. He's selective in his reading. Uh, quote, McIntyre is always for the sub political community threatened by the political community that rises in power and against the latter. Uh, later it says, caught between the sovereignty of the individual and that of the nation state, the local community, the Fisherman's Village, Craftman's Guild, Benedictine Monastery, always incorporates the Santa Rs of human practice, or is the place where this practice takes refuge, end quote. In other words, McIntyre eschews and is always against larger political forces in favor of social practices on a social level within which tradition, which he ultimately ends up as, as the best way of life and defense against all things bad outside of that, as his location. So he's Aristotelian, but in a, in a social sense only. He runs from a stronger political interpretation of Aristotle. I quote again from the article, Why did McIntyre leave Europe in 1969? Why did he need to immigrate into the United States, into the most liberal of the commercial republics? His theory of the primacy of traditions presupposes liberalism's success. It comes after liberalism, end quote. And to further quote, from an essay in the collection, uh, quote, So McIntyre escaped from the powerful by taking refuge in the world's most powerful country, from money by taking refuge in the richest country, from the nation state by taking refuge in the last nation state of the West. Living in one of the innumerable social segments into which America democracy is subdivided, we could forget that money, like rights, homogenizes incommensurable things. We can forget that the individual, like the state, claims a ruinous and otherwise unintelligible sovereignty. We can forget liberalism, end quote. And so in the final analysis of this book and this uh, forward to it, McIntyre's flaw, the biggest thing that people who like him, like ourselves, have to contend with is that his analysis of the problems with liberalism, how we push through it, tradition, virtue, they are always doomed to what he says is a certain abstraction because they're always divorced from reality. They're always in opposition. They're against it. They aren't for politics and engaging against it in real life. Rather, they are an escape and avoidance of it. He calls it the Aristotelianism of the opposition. And this is to flee combat while claiming to still fight on, end quote. Gentlemen, uh, what do we make of this article and this, I would say in the end, uh, fairly strong worded condemnation of McIntyre's project?
2: So I, I was just having a conversation with um, one of the priests at the church I go to, and he's a philosophy nerd as well, and really likes MacIntyre from what I understand. But uh, we, we were talking about, his, it, there was another article that Brevin sent out that uh, was claiming that MacIntyre did a heresy, and we were both talking about this. Both of us kind of disagreed with the takeaway that he did heresy, but also kind of agreed that he was way out of his depths as far as he was, he was entering into metaphysics, and he, he's not a metaphysician. And to the brought context up. This. Oh, well, I mean, that's unrelated. Like, he he tried to make a metaphysical argument and he was clearly out of his depths. It's, it's really that, like, that's that's the gist of it. That was the basis of this conversation. But Father Mike went on to articulate that McIntyre is probably better understood, not as a philosopher, but as a historian of philosophy, that he is at his best when he is just articulating. A line of diet or a line of philosophy that has gone throughout the ages. And that's why After Virtue is so good, is because he is saying, here is our current ethical dilemma. I am going to trace it through, like, from starting with Aristotle, moving, actually, starting with Homer, and moving up through, at, I mean, the past 2,500 years of history, I'm going to show exactly how we got here. And that's him at his strongest. Whenever he starts doing philosophy kind of on his own, that's where he gets in trouble. And that so that strikes me as kind of in keeping, or th- this article is in keeping with that sort of analysis. In that it is a very easy thing, especially as a historian of philosophy, to say like, well, here's like here's the situation, here's why things are so screwy. I'm not really going to offer any alternatives except to this vague notion of this is this is a bad thing and I don't like it. But this is also a bad thing and I don't like it. And those two things are kind of in conflict. So all that to say, I don't entirely disagree with this article. Um, I I think it's because he. I, I guess I'm still, to be fair, I'm still mulling over how much I agree with Father Mike on this, but I actually don't think it's a terrible take to say that he is best thought as a historian of philosophy rather than a philosopher proper. I, I, so I
1: really like that take. It's also very interesting that that parallels a conversation that I had with my priest about McIntyre, um, Anglican priest, but similar similar take is he really likes MacIntyre's diagnoses, but is frustrated with MacIntyre's lack of... Um, solution, which I think is a, a pretty reasonable take that most people have coming out of after virtue. But yeah, I mean, this, this links into something I've been, I've probably said it on this podcast many times, it's something I've written about, like, it's just, it's something I is it, like, that doesn't necessarily invalidate McIntyre as a thinker, the fact that he doesn't have a good prescription, and he's assuming liberalism, I guess the one consideration is whether his ideas are even are compatible with liberalism, which I would argue they might be in in terms of like sub sub politics right? These small communities that the author is pointing out here. That doesn't seem fully incompatible. And so I appreciated somebody who clearly has a huge amount of respect for McIntyre and knows way more about him than I do. And um, is obviously qualified to speak on this, reaching that same conclusion that maybe we can take these ideas and we don't need to burn everything down with them. Like all of us, um, Twitter words their own podcast, like want to say that we should do.
2: I wonder: Are we going to have a similar conclusion with Truman at the end of um, Rise and Triumph? Given that he is kind of in this, I don't think Truman is trying to claim to be a philosopher. He is claiming to be a historian. That's just kind of tracing out a lineage of thoughts and then arrive. He, he not to spoil things too much, but he kind of arrives at a similar position to McIntyre in that, like, well, this is a situation. Here's a few. He sketches out a few possible moves that the church can make, but in general, is just kind of this is the situation. Okay. I'm done.
0: I mean, yeah, I I think I've said this to you, uh, to to, to 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 both of you and to anyone else who I've talked about this book is that Truman is a very good synthesizer, but he doesn't produce uh that much new, and that's not a condemnation because synthesizing is very difficult and hard to do. Uh, our uh, horrible collection of notes on all the things we've read are just evidence as to our uh, need to continue to improve our own skills at uh synthesizing uh but i suppose if we are taking this this read of mcintyre if if as it you know seems that we do uh, agree at least somewhat truman doesn't build much on top of it his suggestions are very lackluster for the momentous historical project he embarks upon to explain how, how we ended up with the rise and triumph or perhaps despair of the modern self uh there's not much way forward than that it's it's much bigger than anything you can deal with or then his suggestions are much smaller uh than the problem at hand but perhaps in a similar way to mcintyre they also sub political in some important ways at least if i'm recalling them and i'm sure we'll discuss more of that once we get to it but yeah so i i found this incisive just because i don't think i've read a systematic uh well articulated critique of the larger McIntyre project um it's, it's mostly been oh it's so great what he did in you know after virtue and uh you know the three rival versions of more inquiry and all these things uh, but I this was a very good way of expressing both the trouble with McIntyre but also perhaps the trouble with a lot of the post-liberal, uh post liberals and the and the conversation that they're having uh in general or yeah. if not a problem with them then the uh problem they have to overcome that's a hard one that. Um anyway. Uh all right. So uh with McIntyre thoroughly uh boxed about the ears, uh Steven, do you want to give us just a quick, just a very, very quick uh rundown of your um exploits in your uh journey to f- to finally end the life of the greatest living philosopher of our time?
2: Uh, yes indeed. Well I went to the Notre Dame Ethics Conference. I didn't have COVID. Turns out one of my friends tested positive for COVID after he got back. Uh, Very wise
0: to keep the blame so that it can't be placed directly. Well, exactly. I can't do this two times
2: in a row. Okay. I mean, come on. Um, But no, Notre Dame, as always, was fun. Uh, McIntyre. Okay. I I, I swear I still like McIntyre. McIntyre is a great philosopher. He's a great historian. He is a great... I, I love the guy. He... Yeah, this this keynote he gave was definitely one of his weaker ones. He was arguing. He, I'm not sure exactly where the whole argument traced out or where it concluded, other than the universe is kind of strange, which cool. Um, but he made this really weird argument against divine foreknowledge that seemed entirely unnecessary and entirely untenable. Pretty much, he said he called he said that there's a a certain class of events called singularities in which, like for example when einstein first discovered his equations that that was a singularity because if i'm understanding this correctly no one could have predicted him discovering that set of equations because if they could have predicted it they would have predicted it or they would have found the discovery or they would have discovered those equations themselves and that would be the singularity and then he pretty much said from there therefore singularity is inherently unknowable you cannot know about it until it happens and from there he said therefore there are certain events that god is not aware of or that he is not like aware of in future tense yes sam you are looking at the heresy is that heresy? heresy i don't think that's that's straight here that's that's called open theism pretty much or is open theism god is um, her- omniscient
1: omnipresent
2: i uh, that's not necessarily heresy so like god can't make a square circle that's not a heresy to say that he can't make a square circle. That's just saying that nonsense remains nonsense even if you say God can't be, or even if you say God can before it. Like he, yeah, he can't sure. make but, a merry batch. God bachelor. knows all true. But that's well, so I I and several people went up and like. Okay, anyway, sorry, passing, we're getting into metaphysics. Well, and okay, so I I to your point, several people actually like during the human a they started like really hammering him hard on this one. I would say if if we are assuming God is in time, I'm actually pretty sympathetic with McIntyre, somewhat sympathetic on with him. At the very least, I think it's a conversation to be had. I think the entire question is avoided if you just say, well, God's outside of time. So, yeah. Also, you could get... you. There was a very fun tongue-in-cheek criticism I considered going up and asked and then very quickly disregarded it because I don't know enough about special relativity to really start criticizing him, but... I wanted to kind of give a, a tongue-in-cheek argument of like, well, what if God was moving really, really fast, and therefore actually observed Einstein discovering it before Einstein discovered it? Like, what frame of reference is God in? Please, <laughs> oh. even you say that you don't know much about special, special relativity.
1: There are a few things that I would say that you know more than Alistair McIntyre uh, more about than Alistair McIntyre. Special relativity is probably one of those things.
2: Yeah, you're you're probably right on that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, i just remember an example about trains moving really fast maybe in opposite directions i don't remember
2: yeah the train is the kind of one of the classic you're standing quote-unquote still from your frame of, re- frame of reference the train moves by uh, somebody in the train sh- shines a flashlight the flashlight hits a mirror it bounces back to them the, the, the thing is that the light has to move at the same speed for both you and the person, and that has a lot of really, really messed up implications with both space and time, and it gets weird, and I'm still trying to figure the whole thing out myself. Every so often I read it, and then it starts talking about metric tensors and norms that can be negative, which makes zero sense, and I get really confused and really irritated. So, uh, Well, speaking <laughs> of being irritated, Steven, would you like to just roll right into a rant? Thank you for saving me from that. I really appreciate it. Uh, yes, so I do. Mine is a nice short rant and a very positive one. So, Christmas is here. Christmas season is here. And, Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is for you to get out of the way of the sisters at Karmazani, or however you pronounce it, monastery, and let them sing their lovely music. Because, sweet mercy, if you have not heard uh, the Kamar-zani, Kamar- Kamarzani nuns sing, Didn't Sar Sarinin. You you should do that. So 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 look look them up. They're amazing. They're a Romanian monastery that sings a bunch of traditional Romanian hymns, and they are sublime. So my rant is that Christmas music is great, and especially those notes are.
0: We'll put that in the episode uh, description because I think all I want for Christmas is just to listen to nonsense. That's like the one thing that I definitely need. One hundred percent for sure. Um, yeah, and I feel like I don't want a lot, but that's that's one thing for sure. Um, anyway. Uh, Sam, how about you?
1: Yeah, my my rant's also a somewhat happy one. Um, I don't know anything about cryptocurrency, and that's made me feel dumb the last about four years because I feel like I should be I, I should know about this, and I feel like I'm missing out on something huge. Um, so but I also have always felt Sam. like it's the blockchain. I know what the blockchain is okay. I know that much. I watched it. blockchain
2: um, and white papers, okay?
1: Well, all I know is I am very smug and very happy to see that. Maybe it is actually all a scam, uh, and this whole FTX collapse thing has been um, delightful to watch, despite the fact that thousands are probably destitute now. But um, beyond that fact, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's sin to be happy in this, but I'm happy about it. And it, uh, I don't know, just gives me a bit of joy about the fact that the false money is actually false
0: anyway both you and ebenezer scrooge would have that in common he there's no way he would be into nfts which is just an interesting thing to think about uh as for myself i will also keep it short and sweet i am enjoying a lovely advent it's not it's not actually advent precisely it's more just the 24 days of december before christmas uh but lovely uh candle yankee candle calendar that this uh own sam has has sent me and i have eight different scents to look forward to in a rotation over this Christmas season. And we did the first one today, uh, uh, Basalman Cedar. It was fantastic. And I'm looking forward to the rest uh, as as the days roll by. Uh,
2: Stephen Yesum. Just regarding the NFT thing, didn't the Catholic Church release an NFT of some saint or something like that? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Some... some
0: uh, place in france but to be fair the french are very very sick right now they're all there's so much wrong in the french in all of the european catholic church let's be honest but
1: uh that's and and, and where's rome
0: uh it's uh in its own location it's separate it's it's uh yeah it's it's its own thing it's a little it slice of heaven. country it's a little in, slice of heaven it's an outpost in, it's an outpost of heaven in a godless europe is what it is um but anyway europe yeah uh for everyone here at the problem with reading podcast uh, i'm brevin who's resisting making uh, i'm steven and i'm sam and uh i think we probably canceled
1: that was act type you have to cancel first
2: yeah
0: He also had the best, the best scandal, which was he got paid to write an article, I think, but didn't disclose or something like that. Or maybe he was on the retainer for a tobacco company, which is epic. Like that's, that's the coolest thing you can do is just write about how cool smoking is
1: and not tell anyone you're getting paid for it. Uh, So in the whole tobacco war, that was one of his popular moments is he was like one of the big defenders of big tobacco.
0: (laughs) I I only respect him more for it. Um,
2: Yeah, I'm kind of here
0: for it. I Enjoying name. the
2: occasional cigar that I do. I can get behind them on that.
0: Those studies on cancer are overwrought
1: and Probably <laughs> not real.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> <Okay>. Well. <laughs> when I tell myself probably when I'm smoking a cigar. <laughs> you,
2: you, you, yeah, keep that on, keep that recording on record. <laughs> <laughs> so many things on record tonight. Uh, oh, geez, this is.
0: Only the things that the incriminate thing. other people. Um, yeah. All right, uh, okay, how do we transition out of that? Um,